Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 121. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're going postal as Daleks exterminate Doddle. But before we even get going, there's a little explanation required of what happened last time. And I'm blaming Apple. What is it they say about a bad workman blaming their tools? Now don't you start. I swear this is an Apple issue. It's happened before. Doubtless it'll happen again. In fact, it's just happened as we've sat down to record. You may have noticed I sounded a little strange in the first 20 minutes of the last show. I can honestly say, no more than usual. You'll notice I'm saying nothing. Very wise. Neither am I. Can I carry on, please? Feel free. The recording made on the Mac was afflicted with a distortion known here at MacBytes headquarters as Mike's BotBot. I knew it would be my fault. No, it's Apple's fault. It's a known issue with the USB bus. Every now and then, no warning or indication, obviously, it just goes crazy and it distorts all the audio that's recorded on the Mac. It sounds just like a Dalek. Now, since I know about this, You might be wondering why I haven't found a way to outwit Apple's ineptitude. Well, I have. Both Mike and I make a second recording using a separate device. Belt and braces, as it were. So what went wrong, I hear you ask? Well, that's a little embarrassing to say the least. You forgot to turn it on? No! Not that that hasn't happened before, to be honest, though. But not this time. The device in question needs to be primed first. So you press the record button, but then you need to press the record button for a second time to actually start the recording. I did the priming. It was poised. Then I did all the other stuff, because there's lots to be done at the point of recording. Finally, we were ready to go. And I pressed the record button for a second time. In fact, it was that part of things that meant we actually had a usable recording at all. So, what did go wrong? In my determination to ensure I had a second recording, I forgot to turn the recorder the right way round so the microphone was facing me. I know, but it's easily done with everything I have to do when we're recording. I did notice my error 20 minutes into the recording and turned it round the right way, which was why the rest of the show sounded fine. So, how many backup recordings have you got today? 27. Thank you for asking. Moving swiftly along. Also from last time, I mentioned Notion's code block feature in relation to solving Alistair's one-note spelling problem. I said I couldn't understand why other Notes apps hadn't developed something similar. Well, Evernote's new CEO, Ian Small, has rolled out a behind-the-scenes initiative. It's basically vlogging progress on future developments within Evernote. And these videos are on YouTube. One of these videos showed the new Note single multi-platform interface, including an insert button. That's a mouthful. What is? The new Note single multi-platform interface. Very true. Now, one of the options on the insert button was to insert a code block. It is in the current version of Evernote, but with a slightly different interface. We eagerly tried it. Didn't end well, did it? Hardly. We expected the code block to actually do something. Maybe exclude the content from the spell checker, not for colour coding, add the ability to copy the code block without having to highlight it all first. Something. Anything. But it did nothing. Reserved code words still flagged as spelling mistakes. There was no colour coding at all and no option to copy the code block. Couldn't see the point of it at all. All it did was just display the code on a different coloured background. So if you're in the market for something intelligent, don't bother going there anytime soon. The video series, however, is well worth a look, especially if you still use Evernote. You'll notice the if in there. But that said from the point of view of a previous user who is now actually getting a lot more stuff done using Notion rather than fighting with a notes app stuck somewhere in the mid to late 20th century. Your mileage may vary, of course. You may adore Evernote. Hey, if you do, let us know. Always love to hear from you lovely MacBiters. But these videos are a great idea because they're one way to see where they're going in the future. I went into Evernote the other day, you know. It was one of those... I'm looking for something, but I don't know if it's in 
Evernote or OneNote. Anyway, it was in Evernote. You actually haven't got that many notes. You couldn't consolidate them, you know. I ditched that idea when the total note count in Evernote reached 10,000, but you could. I could. Anyway, are we all caught up now? I do believe we are. So you can now share the real reason for the, um... Slight hiatus in shows? Yes, that. You've reminded me now. I might never recover. WWDC 2019. We had a Mark Bites Live. iPad OS, nice. Potential, etc., etc. But the rest? Without exception, the MacBiters were not thrilled. But within hours, there were posts declaring it to be the best WWDC ever. Couldn't believe it. The lauding included epic, awesome, nailed it. You'll love this one. Total tech excitement. It left me breathless. There was some good stuff in there, like uh, the iPad OS, but breathless and nailed it. I think that's taking it a bit too far. To quote from one of the gushing posts, possibly written by Timmy. Undeniably, Apple raised the bar on tech keynotes with this epic blast of innovation. All in all, the carefully scripted presentation lasted about two hours and 15 minutes. The first two hours brought an astonishing avalanche of new features coming to iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac and Apple TV. The new software features ranged from seismic shifts, a new branch of iOS just for iPads, to tiny tweaks, makeup for Memojis. Stop right there. Makeup on Memojis. Makeup on Memojis? How did that make it into a presentation that Apple themselves say is aimed at developers? They and all their press acolytes frame the WWDC keynote to try and rein in on the hype. It's aimed at developers, so don't expect too much for consumers, they cry. And what do we get? Makeup on Memojis. Of much more significance to me, and I'd suggest many others, especially developers, is something they didn't even bother to mention. I'll quote that article again. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Monday's presentation proved so jam-packed with goodness, Apple couldn't even find time to mention that iOS 13 brings mouse support to iPads. Finally! Hmm. Doubtless the iOS-only fundamentalists will be squealing in delight that the device they've spent the last nine years telling us would replace the desktop is now turning into a copy of said desktop. Then there was people getting giddy about the icons in iPad OS. You know, the fact they're closer and then there's widgets and stuff like that. Hasn't that been obvious to every single user of an iPad since 2010? Yes. Yes, I thought so as well. But never mind. Eventually, I'll recover. Hopefully, in time for the next doubtlessly thrilling keynote. Have you noticed? I'm, I'm, I'm verging on not being excited now. I've noticed that. Yeah, I'm, I'm reining myself in now, telling myself it'll be absolute diabolical and then it'll improve. But even as a presentation, I mean, I do presentations. You know that. I'm a professional. Even as a presentation where they're saying it was fantastic, it was disjointed. It was disjointed. It was like a cast of thousands. They were introducing people and we were saying, who's that? What department are they from? Because there was just too many of them. And they were all coming on and saying, I'm super excited. That's not even proper English, but let's not go there. The whole thing. I just, I just, I mean, I said to you today, didn't I? Remember the keynote where Steve Jobs introduced the iPad and he had a sofa and he just sat down and started using it? That is a good presentation. WWDC? Shocking, and I, I am still not over it. But anyway, the best news from our sojourn? The end of an era. Something you know is mainstream when it's in the Daily Mail. No, I do not read the Daily Mail. I just happen to know it was in the Daily Mail. Something I was very pleased to finally hear. Something we didn't agree on either. What is it? Microsoft announced that forcing password changes on users is obsolete. I've been saying that for years, but you thought it was a good idea. 
Not that you'd ever guess that from your reaction when you're forced to change your password two minutes before actually needing to do something. I just thought that changing it would make it less likely to be hacked, however annoying it is in practice to have to change it. You see, my experience is that the more you make people change their password, the more likely they are to, number one, choose something as basic as the rules will allow, two, write it on a post-it note and stick it somewhere obvious. I have seen that so many times when I visit clients on site. I guess how bad it is depends on how you define a secure password. Got to be one that isn't easily guessable. So, you know, password one, two, three is probably out. Some of them are workoutable. Is that a word? It is now. So mother's maiden name and pet's name, first pet's name. I'd add to that one. One that you can easily remember, and that way you're not tempted to write it down. But for that, it needs to be one that doesn't change every five minutes. And then you've got to tell people that they need one that's specific to each service, so don't reuse anything. I've had the same base password at work for years. It's a single word. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Oh, spoil sport. Yes, security and all that. Mm. Um, It's got two digits at the end, and I just changed the digits until the new password rules required at least one non-alphanumeric character. So now it's the base word with a number and a character, with the number changing each time I'm forced to change it, which is now every six months instead of every three months. I'd just say far better advice. Use a password manager. Or a banana in your case. That was only once, and it was an emergency. The most frequent support call at work is for password resets, usually when they come back from holiday and they've forgotten it. Or lost the post-it note. (laughs) That just proves the point that forcing frequent changes doesn't work. As long as the password you choose is strong enough, I don't see a reason to change it that frequently at all. Which brings us nicely to the sad sorry tale of when I did change the most important password I have. Who recalls me making the calamitous decision to change my iCloud password? That wasn't the banana password saga, was it? No. Writing my password on a strategically placed banana was a necessity forced upon me when Virgin upgraded our internet. The iCloud one I think back then it could even have been mobile me, but it was a decision I made to improve security. It was a resounding success in one way. Even I couldn't get into half the services. It it was the biggest pain ever. Simply changing a password broke all kinds of things, including the worst thing, which was some hidden magic um, in iPhoto back in the day. Um, if your mobile me password stroke iCloud password had changed, it needed changing. And the only way to change it inside what um, iPhoto was to go through the keychain. But at no point did it ever tell you what to do or that the, the password didn't match. It just threw up an error. It was hideous. It was simple enough here with one password because that's the password I was changing. My one password, one password. All the devices duly prompted me to re-enter the master password. And all went swimmingly. Things won't end well. They didn't. I knew it. One device, one lone device, wouldn't take the new password. I knew I wasn't mistyping it. And after trying it more times than I'd usually deem wise, I had a brainwave. Try the old password. Bingo. Straight in. I logged out manually and then tried getting in using the new password, and all was well. But I thought that was quite worrying, though. And it was just as well I could remember the previous password. Um, Also just as well I hadn't changed that password because I'd lost a device, or the password would have been compromised. Anyway, that was fine. I was a little bit concerned, but I sorted it out in the end. But another device proved to be even more stubborn. Now, this was my 2012 MacBook Air which has had various versions of 1Password installed since day one. It's been regularly updated, and I'm thinking, you know, seven and a half years ago, we were probably on 1Password 2 or 3. I think we're up to seven. Um, At some point, 
We changed from Dropbox syncing of a one password vault to the shared one password hosted account thing. This device again refused to take the new password. I used the old one and it was fine. So I thought, here we go again. So I logged out manually, as with the other problematic install. But when I came to put the new password in, it still wouldn't take it. So that went on for a couple of days. I thought, let's leave it attached to the network. Let's make sure everything's synchronized and updated and all the rest of it. A couple of days later, still wasn't working. This was when I recalled that there was something years ago about having a different password for each vault and another for accessing the one password install. Now, back then, I wasn't going there. Different passwords for accessing the same thing? Not happening. But it appears that somehow, at some point in the last seven years, one password separated the app access password from the account access password. So I actually needed to reset the app password to match the account password to keep things simple. And like I said, just as well, I hadn't reset the password because I couldn't remember the original one. Lesson to be learned. Don't do it. Don't change a password unless absolutely necessary. And even then, think twice. Now, another blast from the past for me recently when, was when Google announced, you'll like this one, Google Transit Predict. I know it sounds like a pregnancy testing kid, but I'm assured by reading the article it's not. Well, not unless the transport takes much longer to arrive than Google predicts. The idea is that Predict will enhance your journey to work by predicting how crowded your bus or train will be. It's an enhancement to Google Maps. If you're wondering how they can predict that, let me enlighten you. Since last October, Google have been asking their users to do their job for them and tell them how many seats were free or if there was standing room only. The data that they've received, they've moulded into a predictive system, rolling it out to 200 cities worldwide on Android and iOS. Sounds grand, but reminded me of Ladbrook's server. Mm, I thought it might. For the blissfully uninitiated, Microsoft Ladbrook's server was my pet name for a huge white elephant that came out of Redmond in the late 90s. I seriously can't recall what the thing was actually called, and I have tried to Google it, but I think everybody's tried to get it out of their mind. I can certainly, however, recall what it was supposed to do. It was a predictive analytics system aimed at retailers. And basically, its function was to predict what quantities of each retail item would be needed for each week of sales. It sounds simple. More complex, though, than at first glance. Just think, millions of turkeys sold in December are not predictive of the number that should be ordered for January. Now, of course, that's obvious. And the world is a much less predictable place than that simple example. So beer sales in the last two weeks of June were off the scale. Should an order for an increased quantity of beer be placed for July? Well, the answer to that question depends on what factors the system is programmed to take into account. Now, Microsoft were very confident. Sainsbury's were very confident. They spent millions deploying the thing. Me? Not so much. I remember sitting through the presentation, shaking my head, making notes of myriad ways in which the system couldn't possibly work. Let's reconsider the beer example. Why was there a spike in sales in the last two weeks of June? Weather, price reduction, new beer released, Wimbledon, royal wedding, something else. And it's that something else where the system stumbles. Because no matter how many factors are programmed into the system, there will always be something that isn't. In this case, it was the World Cup and England were doing rather well for a change. That is certainly something that was not predictable. Hence my nickname for the thing, Ladbrook Server. For those based outside the UK, Ladbrooks is a chain of bookmakers. To my mind, this was no more accurate than a slight tip for the 430 at Kempton. Logic alone said it was going to be considerably less accurate than Mrs Brown's bunions are at predicting the weather. And guess what? What? I wasn't wrong. It performed so badly that Sainsbury's were forced to issue a profits warning and rip the whole system out. 
Google Maps Transit Predict. I fear a similar fate. I wouldn't take anything it has to say as accurate enough to put money on it. But as ever, time will tell. Watch this space. You know what I'm thinking, don't you? What? Well, it could take the last 12 years worth of data and predict when the next map bikes will be. You know, there are some things that just can't be predicted. <clears throat> Not just me getting into mischief lately either, is it, Siri? Me? What did I do now? A spot of eavesdropping as I heard it. That was not my idea, I can assure you. What he said, there are some things that just can't be unheard. Apparently so. Basics of the story? Apple have been making recordings of your interactions with Siri. No notification of doing it, no opt-out. And they have the temerity to criticise other companies. Well, a whistleblower contacted The Guardian. And there is a long rambling piece in The Guardian. A couple of highlights from it. It said, but while the practice might be necessary, the seeming secrecy of it is alarming. Then it went on to say, that's the right response. Customers should be aware that their Siri recordings may be listened to. And part of Apple's privacy push should be the ability to keep your data to yourself. Really? On what planet did Apple think, one, it was a good idea, and two, they'd get away with it? You can't inadvertently create a grading system like this and not be aware of the need to be transparent. Absolutely poor show, Apple. Very, very poor. You know, every other system I know, it lets you opt out of sending your information to whoever. So like you say, out of order on Apple's part. He wouldn't be so bad, but Timmy is so fond of taking the moral high ground. Just imagine if Google had tried anything like that. Anyway, my mind was boggling as I pondered what they might have heard. Believe me, there is not enough money in the world for anyone to want to do that job. Very true, Siri. Now, doubtless you'll recall our foray out to Deepest Cheshire back in February. It was road warriors doing the dongle dance. And I faced a calamity before we even left the safe and warm confines of MacBuy's headquarters. I had an Amazon order that could only be delivered while we were away. And there didn't seem to be a locker suitable, save for the curiously named Doddle in the middle of crew. Well, this week I received a little missive from Amazon. Our records show you've had orders delivered to Doddle at Morrison's in crew. We're contacting you to let you know that from August 2019, this store will no longer be an Amazon pickup location. And then it rabbited on. What? Now, luckily, it wasn't our local locker, but it's still not good news for the one occasion in the year I might need it. I actually felt like I was in an episode of South Park. OMG, they've killed Kenny. Only in this case, OMG, they've killed Doddle. Poor Doddle's dead. I'm sad. Are you sad? No. Oh, I quite <laughs> like Doddle. It was a battery charger that I was after. And, and the whole problem was it said it wouldn't fit into a locker, which was complete hooey. It wasn't that big, was it? But the only place that could take it was Doddle and Doddle did it. It was far poor Doddle. Can, can you do the boot hill? Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Right, Doddle has now been... Sunsetted. Yes, sadly. I was going to say honoured, but yes, unsensitive. <laughs> now, we also mentioned um, our favourite iOS recording app back in MacBytes 111. One of the features we specifically mentioned was the interface not looking like a recorder. You know, when you're trying to be subtle. Well, it's been updated and it's now very, very different, but it's still not in your face. So you'll get away with it. Of more concern is something that's happened in the last 10 days or so. First of all, there are two versions of Recorder. There's a free version, which is ad-supported, and a full version, which is paid for and no ads. It's the latter version I have. So imagine my surprise. She means abject horror. Spot on. I do mean abject horror. When I was greeted by an ad. Worse than that, it was advertising another recording app. And not one from the developer of Recorder. So this ad had three options. Show me later learn more or dislike. Now, obviously, I'd opened this because I wanted to record. So I tapped show me later thinking I wanted to investigate what was going on. The advert, I mean, it is an advert. It, it appeared every time I opened the app since. And I haven't said 
dislike because I don't know the impact of saying dislike. And I'm thinking, who is responsible for this? Is it the developer? Is it Apple? Has it been hacked? What on earth? I don't see the advantage of a developer showing an ad for another developer's app, which would be a replacement for the app you're actually using of theirs. And it's the same ad every time. Whoever it is, it's very naughty. Are there any developers out there got any ideas what's going on? It's actually got even worse last night because I said, show me later. And the, the ad disappeared. So it got rid of the ad, but it left a floating icon for the advertised app over the interface of the app I've actually paid for and was trying to use. At this stage, I could feel a Mac Jim trademarked incandescent rage coming on. That's off, isn't it? And it happened to you as well and you've bought and paid for it? It happened to me exactly the same, yeah. I, I've had it on more than one device, so it's not a blip. It's something that's going on and I would love to know what before I tear somebody a new one, which is obviously my next manoeuvre. Another classic from this week, think impending disaster and you wouldn't be far wrong. I received a letter from my bank. Notice that, a letter. On paper, in an envelope, with a stamp. It's how I work with my bank since the great horse racing syndicate disaster of 1997. Remind me again. Siri, get the popcorn in. I haven't heard this one before. Oh, I had recently opened a business account with them. I'd opted not to be a party to any promotional calls. But as it was a business account, they did actually have the phone number. And all was well until they became party to something that was popular in the 90s, a horse racing syndicate. Basically, you paid an exorbitant monthly fee for which you became part owner of a racing horse. Now, when I say part owner, I'm guessing you'd be lucky to own much more than an eyelash with the numbers probably involved. And I was not interested. I ignored the very expensive literature they sent me repeatedly. But after a few weeks, they called me and asked me if I'd be interested in joining the syndicate. I politely declined, pondering how much I'd prefer them to be proactively looking after my money rather than husbanding a racehorse. But I digress. Within 90 minutes of that first call, they rang me back and asked me again. I wasn't quite so polite that time, but I hadn't reached screaming pitch at that stage. By the end of that first day, they'd rung me four times. By the end of the week, they'd called 14 times. I bet you'd reached screaming pitch by then. Let's just say in my usual style of tearing them a new one, they were sporting several new ones and no longer had my phone number on file. A simple request to remove it took three levels of call centre escalation before the director of the data centre personally removed all traces of my contact numbers. Peace reigned and has done ever since. If they need me, they write. If I need them, they'll hear about it. They do repeatedly request contact numbers on the odd occasion I find myself having to speak to them, but once reminded of Horsegate, they immediately back down. So, imagine my abject horror at receiving what they describe as an SCA letter from them. SCA, yes, I wondered about that too. Strong customer authentication. A European directive coming into force soon. A European directive. And that affects us how exactly? On second thoughts, let's not mention the B word. Carry on. According to said letter, it's going to be a smart, savvy way to fight online fraud together. Bless. It sounds like we're going to be Macmillan and wife, fighting off the bad guys without so much as needing to comb our collective bouffant. I didn't fall for it, though. I carried on reading. From the 14th of September 2019, you will be asked to confirm your identity more often when you make a payment online. This wasn't sounding good. We'll do this by sending you a unique one-time passcode by text or email. That'll be interesting since they have neither my phone number nor my email address. They made no reference of that tricky little impediment to their devious plan, so now I'm awaiting another missive from them when they realise that they have no way to contact me. Well, other than a letter, on paper, in an envelope, with a stamp on it. Watch this space. 
Seriously, what are you going to do? They are not on pain of death having an email address. I ignore every mail that purports to come from my bank because I know that they don't have my email address and therefore it can't be from them. Fraudsters are so devious, if I had to stop and seriously check every spam mail, I'd get nothing else done. What I really want is I wish Apple made the iPhone dual SIM. Two numbers, one a chuckable pay-as-you-go that you could then change when the inevitable spam calls start. But I'm not thinking that's going to happen anytime soon. Are you? No, probably not. I'll wait and see what the next letter has to say. Then we can all have a good laugh over that one. Uh, Talking of laugh, although this one wasn't really funny, was it? A new concept came to my attention recently. One I'm guessing you can imagine my reaction to. Euphemistically referred to as optional subscriptions. Hmm. Not optional as in you have a choice or not, obviously. If you want the functionality provided by the subscription, there is no option. So why the term optional? Well, very similar use of the term optional in the language of promotions from multiple developers taking this approach. It seems to be their way to provide a gentle introduction to a concept of a subscription. And obviously subscriptions fast becoming a dirty word. The first time I noticed this optional language was OmniFocus. Now, traditionally, they offered a single purchase for each version of their app. And there were lots of those from the very beginning. There was the Mac OS, iPhone, iPad. They've since unified iPhone and iPad to an iOS universal binary. But this introduction of a web-based version seems to have been the catalyst for this optional, massive air quotes, subscription. Everything is now available as a subscription. So all of the apps, instead of paying for them as a single purchase, you can get the lot with a monthly subscription of $9.99. And as I say, it gives you access to all the versions of OmniFocus available on all platforms. Given the cumulative price of purchasing a version for each platform, it might seem like a good idea. But this optional subscription was introduced without any new apps being released. So there was no new version for the existing platforms. The only new option is a web-based version, which incidentally is very limited in terms of features. Access to that web version is included in the subscription. But at $9.99 a month, it doesn't seem appropriate for those who have already paid for each version separately. These these apps are not cheap. I think OmniFocus Pro is around the $80 mark plus VAT if you're in the UK. So they're not a, a small investment. Now, that's why they've introduced a less expensive option. The subscription is to only the web version and it's $4.99. So as well as the $9.99 subscription and the $4.99 subscription that's web-based only, you've still got all of the original apps available for purchase with a standard license. And I think that's where they've got the option to say, we're able to say the subscription is optional. But the $4.99 subscription is the only way to get access to the web-based version. But to me, it's quite expensive at 50% of the full subscription price when you've potentially already spent almost $200 on standard licenses. For a new user with no current investment, the subscription might make more sense. I think I would have been more inclined to partake maybe with $199, $299 per month options. This is where they've got you. You know, If you want those features, you'll have to pay or hit these companies where it hurts in the pocket by not taking out their expensive subscriptions and then looking for a cheaper alternative. But then how long does it take to do the research and the test? And then you decide to go with the alternative only for them to then go subscription six months later. I decided that the web subscription wasn't worth $4.99 to me personally. I'm in the fortunate position that I have access on my devices and my desktop. But like you, if you were stuck at work on a Windows machine, you might think it was worth it. Anyway, as I was pondering the optional claims of the marketing for OmniFocus, another optional subscription announcement landed in my inbox. Well, actually, to be more accurate, in my spam folder. Mm, Mine too. Great job there, guys. This time it was PDF Expert and the language on this one was even worse. 
Um, in announcing a new version for iOS, and there was a long rambling thing, um, I'll, I'll just quote two parts of it. Switching to a subscription pricing for PDF Expert 7 allows us to ship the app for free. And the other little bit from it is pricing for existing PDF Expert 6 customers is very simple and transparent. The pricing upgrade options that they say are very simple and transparent, there's a huge table. Now, I can see many folks not having a clue what they'll be getting. For free, you get a tiny set of features, but obviously it's not time limited. If you bought version six, the previous version, you get a larger set of features. If you bought version six, but you also bought the previous in-app purchase, which was a one-off, then you get a larger set again. But pro subscribers, yes, they're offering a subscription. Um, they get the full set of features. But what got me most was one of the lines that I've just quoted, that new pricing. Switching to a subscription pricing for PDF Expert 7 allows us to ship the app for free with features that cover a majority of the use cases and people can take advantage of them right away. So what they're blatantly admitting is that the pro subscribers are subsidising the majority of the remaining users. I just don't think that's sustainable in the long term. I also had two major questions. It wasn't clear to me what the subscription actually covered in terms of there's a desktop version of PDF Expert, didn't mention it. And secondly, the price itself. You're going to need to sustain the free version and that might explain why the subscription is so expensive. Before you ask, I mean expensive by comparison to other subscriptions and not a Lamborghini, but the price they're actually expecting you to pay for this as an iOS only application is $47.99 a year. So when I say, as I say, expensive, I did a quick comparison with subscriptions that I do have. Um, Ulysses, for example, is $36.99 a year for all platforms. So iPad, iPhone, Mac. What they did, though, because, again, they when they went subscription and it was subscription only, you could carry on using the old version until it dropped off its twig. But eventually you were going to have to upgrade or stop using it. There was an option if you took out the subscription within a six month window of the subscriptions announcement and were a previous purchaser, you got grandfathered at $26.99 for life. So. You know, every year you pay it, you're saving £10 because you had the original version. I think that is probably the, the best way to do it if you must go subscription. Um, but it's a lot less. You know, I, I pay. So what they want is they want double that for just PDF Expert. Now, another subscription I've got is Microsoft Office. I know the proper price is 79 but I paid 48 for a year's subscription. Now, that's all the Office apps on all platforms, together with six terabytes of online storage with OneDrive. So you're not going to impress me with the claims of it only being £4.20 a month, because it's still much, much more than other apps. And as I say, it's not that I'm completely unwilling to take on a subscription, even when it is exorbitant. Yes, I'm looking at you, Adobe. I did a quick look, and you might want to cover your ears, Mike. Um, this isn't everything, but we do already subscribe, because we have no alternative, to Creative Cloud, 1Password, Encrypt.me, LinkedIn Learning, Office 365. We also have another Office subscription for the enterprise version of Office. Um, I pay for Evernote. Google Drive, Ulysses, Notion, YouTube Premium, Spotify, Wirecast, Parallels. There are some things, though, <laughs> you don't think we just take everything. There are some things we made a decision not to subscribe to. One was Dropbox, because I just don't need that level of space. But obviously, they've muddied the waters because now you can only use three devices. I don't subscribe to Box, but you use it more than me. And I think we've just got enough space. That's the reason yeah, why. I think I've got two fifty gig um, accounts, which I got as a special deal. Another one that is very strange, 
it's an app I use, it's called Cloud Mounter, and it turned into a subscription service. But I already had a version and it was fine and it was from the App Store. So they just seemed to keep releasing new ones and I didn't need to take on a subscription for it. They also offer every now and then lifetime licenses for which you then don't have to concern yourself. Um, but back to PDF Expert, the only actual pro features subscribers get right now above everybody else, there's only three of them. One, you can convert any file to a PDF. Two, you can reduce the size of a PDF file. And three, you can customise the interface by creating your own tool set. Now, they are promising OCR and handwriting recognition added in future updates, and that's expected to be a pro subscription only feature. But that just begs the question, why announce the subscription now before all of the extra features included in the pro subscription are sufficient to warrant the extra cost? And also before anybody's got a clue where the desktop version figures into all this. So very, very odd. And I said to you, I'm sure they'll get a load of grief about this. We need to now investigate what level of grief they've had, don't we? We do. So what do you think, MacBiters? Is it worth it? Would you subscribe? I haven't yet. I do love the look of those three extra pro features, but almost £50 a year? Not right now. Not right now is what I'll say to that one. Now, uh, moving on to the app preview. I am not a huge fan of the contact app on iOS. It's functional at best. But a new one came out and you know what I'm like. Uh, it's called Card Hop. Now, I already had Card Hop for macOS. Uh, it was launched in late 2017 and obviously sucker for new tech toys. Uh, it was simple. I, I had to get the iOS version when it came out and it was simple to set it up. It's like most iOS apps. One simple tap gives it access to the contacts via the operating system. And it's got a natural language input. Have you ever tried that on Fantastical? No. It's very, very good. And the version in Cardhop is every bit as good as Fantastical, which is Flexbit's calendar app. I've used it both in search and in the creation of new contacts. And you can do that. It's, it, it's great. Um, actually, I've started using Fantastical on my desktop for entering my training sessions. Sole reason... It easily copes with adding the time zones straight from this single entry box. The text entry is amazingly accurate. I, in fact, I've never had it go wrong. Even when I'm putting in um, time zones across what we call do not copy and paste week. It's the few weeks in a year where the UK and the US are out of sync and it causes havoc in BusyCal. But Fantastical's been great with it. And to just be able to sort of type in 1pm 1, 1 ET. And it, okay, that's Eastern, and it automatically calculates it. It is pretty amazing stuff. Now, in Card Hop, when you use this text entry system, none of this having to tell it what data your enters, you're entering, it does a fantastic job of working it out for itself. Um, emails, phone numbers, physical addresses, the natural language is also used in another way with actions. So you could type in what you want to do. So instead of adding a contact and telling them this is Mike and this is his number, you could actually type in call Mike and it would list the potential contacts that match and show a green action button to allow you to complete the action with a single tap. Now, you can also use that same method to update contacts and you can get directions to a contact address in the Maps app of your choice. Now, we had problems before our great calendar move of last year, didn't we? Do you remember trying to tell Google Maps where, you know, um, give me directions to Fred's house? Yeah. And it just like, what? <laughs> we got we got all kinds of results, but none of them were the directions to Fred's house. Um, this works fabulously because not only... Um, now, we must add, that actually did work in Apple Maps. I could say, take me to Fred's house, and it did. But I want to use Google Maps because Apple Maps isn't that accurate around here. Now, this is where Cardhop excels itself because in you know if it only opened it up in Apple Maps, I wouldn't be pleased. 
But the customization options that CardHop's got are fabulous. You can select your own preferred app to be the browser, your mail app, maps and Twitter. Now, I've configured every one of them away from the default apps. So I'm using uh, Firefox for the browser, Gmail for the mail clients, Google Maps for the maps and Tweetbot for Twitter. Now, there is a special dedicated view as well, instantly available from a tap on the button at the bottom. Um, it's a birthday view and I love it. It's a rolling list of upcoming birthdays. There's also optional notifications for those birthdays, too. I pretty much get that through my calendar. Do you bother with that? Um, I'm only aware I've got the birthdays. I have quite a few birthdays in there, so I do get notified. Um, you've also got the fact that you can favourite contacts to, for your frequently accessed ones. And there's support for multiple cloud services, because a lot of the time this is where all these extra apps fall down. But there's support for Google accounts and for G Suite accounts, which is Google's enterprise level service. That's the one we use. But also Exchange um, Gals, which is global address lists. There's Office 365 support and iCloud. Now, where it really surpassed itself for me was um, groups are supported. Now, have you ever tried to manage or do anything with a group in the iOS built-in contact app? I think I have. I think I've got an Asta group. Oh, you might have a group and you can see them, but you can't do anything oh, with no, them. Oh, no, I know. You, you can't. No, you, you can't create them. No. You can't edit them. And that's just ridiculous. Where are the iOS only fundamentalists now then? Yeah, well, this one does. It does let you uh, manage your groups and deal with your groups. The notes that you have attached to your contacts are displayed in a draggable window. So you actually drag up from the bottom of the screen and it's shaded a legal pad yellow. So you can, of course, add extra notes, but there's a fantastic timestamp feature so you can track when the notes were actually added. All in all, it's absolutely worth the $3.99 cost. The Mac version, I was quite surprised when I checked the price of that. It's more expensive at $19.99, but it's certainly better than the built-in contacts app. Having said that, I also have busy contacts, but it is very, very good. Um, it actually runs as um, a menu bar app and it's very good. I have it configured to be brought up on a shortcut key, which means instantly you're into your contacts and you can. I think once, you, once you've got the same app on iOS and the Mac, you use it more and you understand it more and you get more out of it. Now, as I say, $3.99, but needless to say, don't think you've been tempted so far, have you? I actually bought it when it was on offer because you told me to. Good boy, Mike. Uh, yeah, I opened it and I thought, not much going on here. It's just like the contacts app. So the apps icon has been sat on my last screen of apps since I got it. But maybe now I should move it to the first screen on my iPhone and then I might actually start to use it. Do you know, I'm going to have to take you in hand. Uh, need to mention at this point, with this being about contacts, contacts transfer. After the great calendar move of 2018, when we both transferred all our calendars from iCloud to Google, neither of us had moved our contacts. Well, recently, I did finally do the transfer of contacts from iCloud to Google. I only came across one issue, and it was transferring the tags. Google Contacts doesn't support tags. But it does have labels. I mean, that's the same thing. But sadly, they're not interchangeable. So one option for me was to live without them. But they are actually useful for sending to a group of people as a distribution list. So I took the opportunity of moving them to create a system that would work on any system going forward. I used Busy Contacts and the current tags in iCloud to filter the contacts and using copy and paste, I added keywords into the notes field. So I used the format TAG in lowercase, underscore tag name. And then I moved the contacts to Google via drag and drop in busy contacts. And I created the required labels to match the tag names in Google. I filtered using search and searching for each tag and then applied the label 
to the filtered contact. So I didn't need to do it one by one. Once I'd got the tag underscore tag name in there, the rest was a doddle. Doddle, doddle the locker. See what I yes. did there? <laughs> oh, poor doddle. R.I.P. Um, those labels are now accessible through Cardhop as groups. So Cardhop completely supports the groups. What was interesting is when I dragged a contact back out of Google into iCloud, although I couldn't see the original label, uh, not label, tag, Although I couldn't see the original one, when I dragged it back to iCloud, I could. So that meta stays with it. It's just ignored by Google. So unfortunately, it's not transparent in use, not like moving calendars, which proved to be no problem at all. But by putting these tags in as plain text, that solved the problem. It won't matter where I need to take them in the future. They're already there. So if I add one to an extra, if I add a contact to a group, I always make sure that I then put a copy of the tag in, well, label, they call them labels, in the text. And that solves the problem. So I've moved my contacts, but I do believe you are lagging behind. As always. Yes, as always. So will this be happening anytime soon? Soon. Mm, okay. Well, events. We've been having a complete ball on the live after hour shows on Friday nights. And we have another one going live on Friday night, 23rd of August, 2019. Last week, during our live unboxing session, we unboxed three extra Linksys Velop units for our wireless network. This time, we've got a video of our new network setup, all the units set up, and the speed improvement over the old Airport Extreme Express setup is unbelievable. So come along and check it out. There'll also be tips and tricks for Affinity Publisher, Affinity Designer, and much more. 9pm UK time, Friday night, 23rd of August, 2019. And early notification of the impending Apple event in September. It's looking like the 10th, which we'd pretty much twigged, hadn't we? We'd ruled out all of the, the definitely not options and we're left with the 10th anyway. But that's the latest rumour. Uh, whatever it is, we'll be there with a legendary Matt Bites Live. Given the last few events, I don't think we'd have made it through them without you lovely MacBiters to keep us going. So get it in your diary, calendar, PDA, or on a banana early and do join us. It would not be the same without you. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com or you can use the form on the website. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. So what are you up to? Nothing. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. You mean she hasn't found you any jobs to do? That's exactly what I mean. That's not like her. No, it's not. Aren't you worried? Not in the slightest. I'm sensing you know something I don't. I can assure you, I know lots of things you don't know. That's as maybe, but what is the specific thing you know that means you've wangled yourself a holiday? Let's just say that story about the Siri recording program put the wind right up her, and I may have mentioned taking part in it myself, only in passing you understand. Genius. Absolute genius. Genius.